0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Best Damn Camp, our and verse read along and analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran, and welcome back to the show. Again, just to make sure everyone is aware, in the episode notes for this and subsequent episodes, there will be links to help support the Black Lives Matter movement, and also now links to help support trans lives matter as well due to the the current things that have been happening in uh america the uk now as well uh the author who shall not be named no longer uh, causing issues and a resurgence in hate against the trans community um so new links will be added to help support uh the trans community as well just so that they are not forgotten because black lives matter but also black trans lives matters and trans lives matters and i want you guys to know that this is a safe space for all of you Um, and of course just want to put that out so yes all links in the episode show notes um, and also linked on all of our social media so you can see a more extensive list on there Um, But to carry on so you guys can have your escapism, which is needed in these times as always, today we are continuing with our timeline journey with the next chapters of the Sea of Monsters. Chapter 9, I have the worst family reunion ever. And chapter 10, we hitch a ride with dead confederates. Well, that's... Untimely with this current situation. That's unfortunate, isn't it? Oh my goodness. Is it actually called that? Well, I don't know why I'm questioning it now. But for some reason, I yeah no that is. Considering what happened in the chapter, I, I was slightly surprised because that that isn't made aware of in this in that chapter. But whatever. Anyway, <laughs> as always, I've got my points to focus on. So today. We've got characters and just generally what I thought of it. I know not really that much to talk about today, but these are very character-focused chapters for me. So it was mainly characters I was discussing at this point. But to begin, here is the synopsis. Evil cruise ship equals Nazi boy Luke on a quest for power with belittling and daddy issues galore. With escape easily made, questions of how easy it was come about before donuts cause a Hades lot more of problems with poison-shooting hydras. That is, until the hero of the hour arrives, of course. Clarice! 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 Yes, I am on the Clarice fangirl train. You can judge me if you want, admittedly, but uh, (laughs) please don't. Like I say, I am very sensitive um, <laughs> now, oh, that's an, that basically, the synopsis basically says pretty much what happens. There's a lot of drama that happens in this, but even with the drama, it is still very character-focused. So, of course, I will be starting with chapter 9, because 9 comes before 10. And chapter 9 is I have the worst family reunion ever. So let us get into it. And this is The Overview. Tyson has the right idea of running away, but no, I mean, peeps are dumb. Oh, jeez, you've got half-bloods and campers joining Luke. The world is coming to an end. I mean, it is 2020. Okay, hold on, I'm going to talk a certain and I'll redo this. No, no, I'll say it afterwards. Tyson has a really cool yet creepy power, which... We don't get much on, because the dumbs are caught. Luke has become more intense looking, (laughs) Looking, but his daddy issues are still prominent. I really don't like that word, but he does have daddy issues. Spies are in the camp, and the gang's plan has been foiled. Cyclopses and Anabas' frustration may be tied to Talia somehow. Hmm, interesting. I still dislike Luke, but the guy does still have some small points that are, you know, are good points in some areas. My like minute, minute points. Well, they're all gonna die either. We're all oh, t- Titanic-style children first into the lifeboats, as they say. And that is the overview for chapter nine. And to go back to what I was quickly saying, um, <laughs> wait, where was it that I was going to say it? Um, oh, the world is ending. Yes, yeah, so this isn't that I've only just recently. So I've been talking to um, my work colleagues, well, work colleagues and ex-work colleague, but we have a group chat. I don't know why I'm over explaining this, but it, it's a thing now. We were talking about all the things that have happened this year in 2020. And okay, so I started my podcast in 2020 and everything that's happened just doesn't feel like it exists because start of this year we nearly had world war three with america and i think it was iran it's been so long ago now that i feel like that happened like five years ago um then we had the fact that australia was burning i still don't know how that ended i'm guessing it's not burning anymore i hope it's not australia i hope you guys are all right um and then after that we had obviously the whole pandemic stuff coming in uh, we've obviously now got the the whole black lives matter movement uh the the resurgence of uh trans lives and trans people being demonized by high pe high people yeah, no, they must be high because they're so ridiculous. Um, people in high positions, the fact that they are now having rights removed in the US and it's also coming over here in the UK um but it's, yeah so basically all this thing is just like it's it's June and it feels like everything that's happened so far should be over the expanse of like a 5 year period like everything that's happened shouldn't have been able to happen in 6 months <laughs> it's crazy and it's just it feels like the world is ending and as my colleague Cat told me According to the Mayan calendar, I think so you know when the whole thing in 2012, when everyone was like, "Yeah, the world is meant to die, end, not die. Well, technically die if it's going to end. The world is meant to end in 2012. Apparently, the the calendar was like off, like they a couple years had been missed or something like that. So technically, actually, 2020 is actually when the world is going to end, and it makes so much sense because the world literally feels like it's ending. And it's only June. I just, I, it's, it's crazy. It is crazy. The gods have gone wild. That's literally the only way I can, like, comprehend what is happening in this world. The pantheon gods are truly real. And they've decided to screw with us all. (laughs) Um, That's literally the only thing that makes sense right now. Um, But to get back, obviously, to the main point of this podcast... And that is, well, kind of what I was just doing there. Putting all the blame on the Pantheon gods because they do mess up a lot and they have caused a lot of problems. And um, the main problem that has been caused is in the form of the first character I will be looking into for this chapter 9. And that is Luke Castellan. I've just realised, I don't know if I've pointed this out in a previous episode, I probably have. But I found out a little while ago from a friend that I played D D with that I actually said Luke's last name for so long wrong. I keep I've added an extra L, I think. I and I used to say Castellian. Oh no, I added an extra I. I did the same with Rick's last name as well. I don't know where these extra I's come from. But apparently they're a thing that I do. Um yeah, so I now know how to say his name properly, which is good when we're t- 23 episodes in I think this is the first time I've said his last name in a while as well actually so you guys probably didn't even realize well some of you did but you guys have not told me <laughs> but I appreciate my friend who told me that it was uh I was saying it wrong because it's always good to say things correctly <laughs> anyway yes Luke Castellan And this chapter was really interesting when it came to his character really just because there's just there's just so much that happens for him and so much we learn about him in this chapter this is the first time we are seeing him in the flesh since the lightning thief and everything that happened in the lightning thief and we're kind of getting more of an in-depth idea as to kind of what his plans are and where he is in terms of everything that is occurring. And yes, okay, the daddy issues I do have to bring up because obviously that's a big thing. It's not like his only reason, but it was like the catalyst of what led to him doing everything that he's doing. So yeah, the the daddy issues and the intensity of them are revealed. But also like really more of an insight into what led to him turning away from the gods is shown here and it's that he feels betrayed and abandoned by his father almost like his dad turned his back on him and when percy says no I don't think he did because like he told us to come on this cruise ship and that he he hadn't given up on you and that he still believes in you or whatever whatever he says um so to have percy basically tell him oh you know your your dad does care about you that's why we're here is even more of an insult, I would say. Like, this is kind of further proof that the only time that his dad seemingly actually cares about him is when he is defying him. His dad probably would have continued to ignore him if he hadn't have turned against him and the gods. And that's true, really. Like, seriously, can we actually say that Hermes Clay did care about Luke before this because as we know (laughs) there's been no interaction like none of the gods have interactions or have spoken with their kids except for probably when they claim them that's the only interaction they've had so to then say that not only has his dad communicated with percy a kid who only a year or so ago discovered he was a demigod and yes a demigod of one of the most powerful gods not only did he only speak to him But he spoke to him saying, yes, no, clearly I care about my son. Um, And I I want you to be able to go and save him because I haven't given up on him. Is just more proof. Like To me, that's just like his dad cares more about telling another kid that the gods are good than he actually cares about going to speak to his actual son. Like if Hermes cared, why hasn't he gone to Luke? And that's a, that's a good question. I don't know if that is what Luke was actually thinking if I I kind of just assume because it makes sense like you would think that you've just heard that your your the parent that abandoned you has spoken to another kid saying oh no I do care and you yourself haven't heard it you are going to feel hurt and frustrated and angry about that. And the whole Abandonment side of things. It, it's just proven by the fact that an unclaimed demigod, Chris Rodriguez, is on the ship with Luke and probably others as well. And the fact that there is someone at the camp who is spying for Luke. This clearly isn't an uncommon feeling. There are many, many demigods who feel this way. And like we saw in the pre- previous book, Percy understands it. He, but He's loyal to his dad. He's lo- his loyalty is his everything and it's unyielding. Whereas others feel betrayed more than anything, which means that they are easily turned against their parents because they kind of already were against their parents because this parent didn't give a dang about them. Like They, they were abandoned by this godly parent and yet expected to pray to them, to give them offerings and do all these things for them without ever receiving a single ounce of gratitude, or care, or even like a a kind word from them. They'd occasionally get claimed, and that was it. And it seems like that that I I can understand where Luke's mission is coming from. These are kids who are sent to their deaths on a regular occasion, trained, To try and not die. That's the only thing that camp is for. Camp Half-Blood is a place to train to not die. And yeah, it's a fun summer camp at the same time as well. And some kids from uh, lower down and less, (laughs) quotation marks, important and powerful gods can go back to the real world and go to school and have some normal life. But most of them are there for the rest of their lives. Because they've been abandoned by their mortal parents as well, or they don't have the safety of the mortal world because of their godly parent. And I think, I don't know if it was mentioned in the first book or if it's something later, but the lifespan for a demigod is like 25 years, like on average, which is disgusting to even think about. So it's no wonder this resentment and anger has been built up within this group of kids it's i don't know how to compare it other than like the whole oh i don't really want to compare it to this book but the whole thing of when snape in harry potter discovers that dumbledore has basically been raising harry to die at voldemort's hand so voldemort can die that's kind of how the demigods they're being raised to fight monsters for their godly parents with the high chance that they will 100% die. And then it just, it's new child born, fight monsters, die, repeat. That's just their cycle of living. And it's horrible. And so Luke going and joining Kronos and the Titans and helping the Titan Lord rise is this moment like what we see here is that he is in basically probably what would be like the king suite i guess and he's powerful he's relaxed he's wearing a different style he he looks evil he looks like what probably would have been like oh god what what were they called the sort of the troops of kids who were like trained to be nazis as children I don't remember what it was but like that's the image that I have is like he would be one of those people like one of the troop leaders or something helping to train these children to kill people that's what like the vision that the description Percy gave of Luke now kind of came to me that was the thing that I saw I think it was mainly because I saw Jojo Rabbit earlier this year which is a fantastic movie highly recommend but now he has power he now has a name for himself. He He's feeling powerful and seen. He has people following him and looking up to him in a way that... I'm guessing he probably felt he didn't have. Because, like he mentioned in The Lightning Thief, he people pitied him for his injury. And possibly even hated him. Because the reason no quests happened was because he got injured. So his, like I said, his resentment and anger have built... But now he has, in a way, everything he wanted. He has power. He's no longer known as a son of Hermes or Hermes' son. He is Luke, just Luke. But not just that, at the same time, he is also pretty much the right hand man to Cronus. And all of that comes with a title and a status. These monsters look up to him they follow his orders these monsters he has been trained to kill he now has power over and it's it's something like that like for someone who has been told there is a chance that you will die before you ever get to live to and that you have to fight these creatures that are going to kill you to come into this environment where these creatures who normally would have been trying to kill him and he would have to kill them in return are now in a sense his equals with him having slightly more power it's going to be something that you won't ever want to lose because their status is there the power is there the feeling of being lesser and small is gone and you can't like it obviously it's all done in the wrong way and it's all terrible but can you really say that that isn't something that people wouldn't want? And yeah, like like I said, he is a bad guy. But it really does make sense. Okay, and this metaphor I'm about to give is... It's a, re- it's a really bad metaphor. But think of, like, a dog who is abandoned often enough eventually won't trust the person that they have abandoned. And then when that person betrays their trust or hurts them they'll turn on them. And demigods are kind of like that. They are abandoned over and over and over again in many senses of the word. They're given possibly small crumbs of like being claimed. But that trust and that sense of having someone there for you isn't actually there. And then in the case of Luke, he was hurt because of what Hermes did. He sent him on this quest that was already done. And he got hurt. And then he turned on Hermes. And in turn, all of the gods. And so, it's just, it's kind of a self-serving... Uh, oh God, what's the phrase I want to use? Not a prophecy. Maybe a prophecy. But, like, the whole thing, it was like, it was clear that this could happen because... Of course people are going to feel frustrated in the end because they're being treated like lambs for slaughter. There's no other way to say it really. That is what is happening at Camp Halfblood and how the gods treat their kids. And then kind of moving on from that because I went really deep into that, Percy is the next character I want to look at because him in comparison to Luke is really interesting because Luke, we are seeing, is like, yeah, he's a bad guy, but he also seems perfect, in a way, other than him being this bad guy. Whereas Percy, we are continuing to see his flaws here. And the fact that Luke understands him too well and knows his weaknesses in the sense of what can throw him off. And Percy knows that he knows. Now, Percy is the sort of person that, could have easily become like Luke because he is frustrated by continuously being in the dark. But there there, there isn't anything he can actually do about that. But to know that Luke knows his fate and yet Percy can't know and doesn't know is frustrating to him, even if he won't admit it. And Luke is using that to his advantage and I think it's interesting to see these different sides of the spectrum. Luke is someone who has had that happen where he's not known, he's been left in the dark, he's been left abandoned for years and it's turned him bitter and angry and turned him against the gods. Whereas Percy, yes he hasn't been that way for many years because he's only been a demigod knowingly for over a year. But he has the similar traits to Luke in that sense and the possibilities of him easily turning against the gods if something else goes against him. So it's interesting in a way seeing from Percy's perspective in a different way what probably could have led to Luke becoming who he is now. So I'm intrigued to see how this will continue in this book because I think this book Sea of Monsters shows a lot of those comparisons between Percy and Luke for me. Um, Which is interesting because I like when villains and the protagonist slash hero have these reflective moments of their personalities and actions because it it shows why they are rivals in a sense. And that's the case for Percy and Luke for me. But to move on to the next chapter because otherwise I will not stop. We are going to move on now to chapter 10, we hitch a ride with dead Confederates. And again, just a note, this chapter is a really strangely titled because that doesn't happen. We know which boat it is at the end, but we don't actually know there are dead Confederates on it until the next chapter. So uh, interesting, but okay. (laughs) But to carry on, this is the overview for chapter 10. Our new trio escape to a secluded den of ye old days. Annabeth and Percy have a moment about Talia and Luke. We nearly learn the secrets until the donuts enter the chat. Monsters equals capitalism. And honestly, yes. And this is again why Tyson shouldn't be here. Eh. Well, we got us as a Hydra, don't... Oh, damn it, Percy! <laughs> I spy with my little eye, a little bit of teamwork. Clarice is here to save the day. Y'all better thank her or I'm a throw hands. And that is the overview for chapter 10. We hitch arrived with dead confederates. It feels weird to say that last word and admit I'm I'm not even from the US, but I know what it means and it's here. And that is the overview for chapter 10. Now again obviously characters is the main focus for this chapter so I am going to start first with Annabeth who I think has a really, she has really big moments in this chapter which I think is important for kind of getting to know her a little bit better but then also seeing the positives of her character again instead of the negatives we've mainly been seeing in this book so far. Now Annabeth is basically opening up little by little but is still very closed off especially with new betrayals left and right coming in it's clearly hard for her to keep trusting and opening up because everyone she does that to seems to leave or betray her in return while she did believe that Luke did poison Talia's tree hearing him say it basically confirmed her worst nightmare I and honestly seemingly I think she hoped he hadn't done it because a part of her is still remembering this guy who saved her life as a child and basically helped raise her and was the first kind person alongside talia to look after her and not think she was crazy and basically all the things i talked about in the diary of luke castellan uh on my youtube channel in the trauma of annabeth video which i will link in the episode notes as well actually if you guys want to check that out and then just various other things there's just so much about her relationship with luke that it's just slowly becoming undone and i can understand her kind of seemingly grasping at straws to try and show that the guy that she knows growing up is still in there somewhere and I think this whole thing is that she... she. I think she is taken aback by the fact that Luke did poison Talia's tree. Because it's Talia, the person that they watched die, the person that was with them for however long they were running for, I can't remember how long it was, the person that they both grieved over and the person that they both collectively lost. And the fact that he did this is it's just horrendous there is no wonder she's kind of struggling to come to terms with it in a way there is just so much to feel sad about all of this she talks about this den they made and reflects on the two of them but like Luke and Talia taking care of her and them all being on the run together and just honestly just hearing it reiterated and seeing where they stayed and probably the things that they did go through it brings it to the forefront of our minds and Percy's too. the connection that these three had and the fact that it is going to be difficult for Annabeth to let Luke go and let this idea and I and this memory that she has of this guy who saved her life and this guy that she did care for Whether it be romantic or not, or just a small little crush, or whatever it was meant to be, it's hard not to not think of someone in that way when that's all you knew and now they are a different person. It's difficult, and I I completely get that. I think Percy kind of does too. And then, of course, we have the fact that her reasons for being averse to Tyson as it's noted is clearly tied closely to Tanya's death and the trauma of this past is it's intense and Percy is starting to understand this a little bit and this is kind of where we then go into Percy's character in this chapter and here I feel we see the depth of his emotions in this chapter and of just in this book as a whole I feel like we're seeing more of a human side to Percy, more of a kind of a well-rounded character in Percy. We know that he has depth in how he thinks and acts but like I said in this book we're really getting this human side to him. There's a jealousy towards Annabeth's previous friendship group and relationships whether it beca- it's because he sees her as his best friend now or possibly romantic inclinations or that he just feels second best or like oh she's lost that relationship now me and Grover or me and Tyson in this case are kind of a runner-up prize We're, we're her backup because she's lost those like we're a replacement it's kind of whatever he's thinking about this it's not really known but how he tries to comfort her afterwards says a lot in that he clearly does care about her and their friendship and admittedly, we also do see his his sort of cruel side in this chapter as well. Not relating to Annabeth, but also the fact that the moment he hears Clarissa's voice at the end of this chapter, he immediately says they've now got enemies on both sides. And I'm like, Sigh. I know that she tried to shove your head in the toilet, and admittedly, that's no. But at the same time, <laughs> shut up, Percy. <laughs> I just I don't know. I don't know why, but everything about his sort of antagonistic nature towards Clarice frustrates me. Because at least so far in this book, she hasn't really been antagonistic towards him other than when he himself has screwed up and been an idiot or put her and others in dangerous situations is when she reacts badly. So I don't get where this nature I don't get where this is coming from. Um But, Percy just in general, I'm finding to be more of an interesting character in this book than before. Like, obviously, Lightning Thief, we're getting to know Percy. But in this one, I feel like we're getting to see this different side to him. And all these different elements to him as a character. And it's really interesting. And then, of course, we do have the Tyson element in this chapter. And, unfortunately, this chapter... ...continues to show, as it did in previous ones... ...that the sort of the level of liability Tyson can be... ...when on these missions... Is, ...is, it's very clearly shown. They kind of adore him and he is... ...he has his brilliant moments to shine and help... ...but he puts them at risk a lot by... ...in, in this case at least, not only notifying the Hydra to their presence... But also putting him and Percy at risk by not moving when he was about to be attacked. I think that's the thing, it's just that he, he does have really great moments. And I do know that things do improve later on. But it does still make me question it being there because it seems like he's just kind of there in terms of like a a plot element, he's there to kind of lead to dangerous situations, so things happen. Technically even on the boat as well him using his voice to kind of say what the others are speaking is what leads to them being found. Um, it's not directly connected, but it's definitely a part of it. So I think there just it's just currently just more evidence just showing the sort of cost of him being there. I think if it wasn't too much, I wouldn't have an issue, but there seems to be every other chapter so far a reason why he shouldn't be with them is kind of really cropping up which is frustrating for me because i feel like tyson doesn't need to be portrayed in this way at least to the level where it's it's a regular thing i think if it was that i think what i would kind of like is a point of percy or annabeth maybe explaining to tyson somewhere but probably it should have been done earlier on really um what needs to be done how how he needs to be able to stay quiet if he can so that they're all safe because i think that'd that'd be interesting as well especially with this idea of tyson the head of tyson uh possibly being uh autistic or uh asperger's or no neuro neuro sorry neurodivergent is that god i can't remember if that is actually what it was i apologize if that isn't the correct term i think it's neurodivergent but i'm not a hundred percent and i kind of want to neuro neurodiver- neurodivergent um oh it doesn't actually say that doesn't help me um okay no it does say okay so ne- neuro neurodiversity or neuro neurodiverse um <laughs> Oh no, that does pop up. Okay, neurodiv. Oh gosh, sorry guys. Um. <laughs> okay, it looks like it's neurodiversity. Did I not say that before? Oh no. Um, apologies, guys, again for my uh, lack of knowledge in terms of uh, the terminology used. That's my fault, and I, I will improve in future. But the head cannon of Tyson um, being neuro diverse could possibly work in that because i know from what i've seen slash heard um the areas to help uh, a child who is neurodiverse understand or or someone who is neurodiverse to understand is to take the time to explain i know obviously percy is a kid himself so it's going to be difficult for a kid to be able to explain to another kid possibly i don't know but i think it would have been something that would have been interesting and useful to have which can help tyson understand the situation cuz i think the whole thing is tyson knows that they are in dangerous situations but it's not being fully explained to him to the level that i think it needs to be explained oh no i, don't know. I don't, what do you guys think do you think uh At some point, there should have been an element of Percy or Annabeth. Probably Annabeth, really. I know that she's being difficult currently, but I think something like that could have been a redeemable feature for her, actually, if she explained to Tyson this situation. Um, But, yeah, I I think it would have been interesting slash important for that to have been included, them having a a discussion or a, a quick discussion, if necessary, to not bog down with exposition, but something like that to explain the severity um and it kind of gives the author uh, the author the reader a sort of thing of this is a dangerous situation we are going to going into be aware so i think it'd be an interesting thing to include um anyway <laughs> moving on to that went slightly off topic um just overall these chapters Like I said are very character focused with the start of the adventure coming in and I'm here for it I really do like you you guys know I do really like my character focused chapters and elements because characters are what makes a story and what makes the journey so to have these different developments for these characters come in understanding our villain a little bit more understanding our main characters more as well getting hints of things to of what's to come including the prophecy, Talia's personality, Annabelle's past, and a lot of other things as well. Like I'm just, I'm excited to see what will come and kind of how the characters themselves and their relationships will continue to grow and change. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm really here for it. Um, (laughs) And that is the end, I haven't written a question of the episode. So I'm going to come up with one off the cuff, because of course you guys are always here for the question of the episode, because it's the coolest part of this podcast, I think it's the only thing people are really interested in. So (laughs) this week's question of the episode is... Do you agree somewhat with Luke's motivation towards ending the gods reign and if so why and yes to mention again unfortunately I will not be able to read the answers for these questions in the subsequent episodes to come due to the fact that I'm having to record multiple at the moment just to be able to give me time to do other projects that I'm currently working on as well as uh, the fact that I'm still working full time and the struggle of making sure everything is sorted ahead of that Um, So yeah, if you guys want to see those answers, the questions will be going up on our social media. Again, you can email in if you want to as well, but on Instagram and Twitter, answers will be on there as well as our Tumblr. But going on to that and that slight closing I already did, (laughs) I want to thank you all for joining me today for chapters 9 and 10 of The Sea of Monsters. Be sure to join me next Wednesday as we continue our Verse journey. To plug where you can find our podcasts, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, where you can leave a rating and a review, Audio Boom, Stitcher, and Deezer. In the meantime, between episodes, you can find the Best Damn Camp on various social media at Best Damn Camp Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and on Tumblr at com. If you're wanting new If you want to email me with your own thoughts, you can email at hotmail.com and I will read it out at the end of the show. If you want to support me making this content, check me out on Patreon at The Healthy Dose of Fran. And in line with that, be sure to check out my YouTube channel, A Healthy Dose of Fran, for more Percy Jackson content. And drop me a follow at A Healthy Dose of Fran on Instagram and at A Dose of Fran on Twitter. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter. And I'll see slash speak to you guys next time. Bangarang.